bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch. Today's edition is going to be talking about animal rescue, a measure of our humanity. I got the idea for this show from looking at uh, the headlines as I do most mornings and uh, thinking about how um, more and more we're seeing headlines that have to do with death tolls, whether they're from war or natural disasters or crimes. And it just seems as though uh, with so many people dying all over the world in so many different ways that... um, where I was reminded of the fact that there are people who are not only trying to save humans, um, you know, the Red Cross and organizations like that, but there are also people who are incredibly passionate and dedicated to rescuing animals. And you will have some people who will say, well, why are you, you know, working so hard um, to save animals when there are all these people dying in the world, all the people who died, for example, recently from the earthquake in Indonesia. Look at all of that, over 5,000 people. Why are you worrying about animals? Um, not that we wouldn't like to save them, but there, it's hard enough to try to rescue people from themselves and from things going on in the world. Why would you spend your time and energy trying to rescue animals? And the two women I have on today are brilliant examples of people who have devoted their lives to rescuing animals. They're both uh, very different um, in in some ways. I mean, they're both devoted to rescuing animals, but they do it in a different way. Um, one's on the East Coast, one's on the West Coast, and their stories are very interesting and will um, hopefully show you, if you're not convinced as of yet, that uh, being involved in such a pursuit, uh, caring in whether it's devoting your whole life to that or donating money to those kinds of causes or doing whatever it is that you can do, is not just uh, another cause, but it's a measure of our humanity. And so I'd like to introduce, first of all, Joe Dybel. She is the president of the Angel Acres Horse Haven Rescue in Glenville, Pennsylvania, and Dr. Pia Salk. She is the co-founder of Animal Rescue New Orleans. And I'm going to let each of them tell you what they do and how they got involved from, um, uh, from sort of a relatively normal life to this devotion and passion of theirs. So, Joe, why don't we start with you? Thanks for um, having me on the show. I appreciate it very much. Um, I got started rescuing horses when I decided at 30 I wanted to get back into riding and showing and started looking on the Internet for a horse to purchase and ended up um, at a rescue website, ended up buying the horse, and then found out shortly after that a lot of thoroughbreds, along with other breeds, are slaughtered for human consumption. And 
that sort of shocked me, and I ended up adopting two more horses and then thought, you know, I could sit around and complain and keep the three that I have or I can do something about it. So I ended up quitting my job to start this rescue, and now I rescue full-time, and we only rescue slaughter-bound thoroughbreds. That are, those are horses that are standing in a kill pen, and their next option, if I don't take them, is to be slaughtered. Well, now, how do you find these horses? These horses are sold at auction, and they're bought with, by what's called a killer buyer. And that person only buys horses to be slaughtered. He doesn't buy them for any other purpose other than their meat. And that's how we purchase them. So he's just looking for the cheapest horses, basically? Not necessarily. The ones that are really, really skinny and emaciated that the Humane Society officer won't, can't do anything about because it's just not, you know, that poor. But, you know, a normal person would say, wow, that horse is really skinny. He normally won't take them because there's not enough meat on them to make it worth his while because it's a 30-hour trip to Texas or Illinois from where we are. So he usually takes heavier horses, so it's not just any horse. And what does the Humane Society do? The Humane Society officer, or it might be the SPCA officer in that county, um, will come in if a horse is very poor or has been starved and neglected. She will seize the um, animal and hopefully arrest the person who brought the animal in. Most times they drop the horse off and leave. Drop the horse off where? At the sale. It's an auction with hundreds and hundreds of horses, and they also have sheep. And oh, you mean cattle. the people whose horse it is leave, not yeah. the name society? Okay, no, no. no <laughs> well, the person bringing it in. But isn't there, uh, isn't there sort of a, um, isn't there this kind of hypocritical? Because on the one hand, if the humane society uh, sees a horse that's emaciated or been neglected. Then they try to find the owner, but they don't do anything about the horses that are being sold for slaughter? That's right. They can't because there's a legal loophole that the European slaughter companies are using to allow the horses to be shipped in. It is illegal to ship horses out of Pennsylvania to be slaughtered. But because of the legal loophole, um, they are able to go every Monday. There's a whole truckload that ship out to Texas. Huh. And... um. So how many of these are you able to, do you go every Monday? And I can only go when I have openings because right now we're, um, we only are allowed to have four horses at any time available for adoption that are on our property. So when we get overflow horses, they will have to be boarded at another facility. So if we could go every Monday, we would, but we average about 40, 45 horses a year that we are able to rescue and adopt out. And the way that you adopt them out is through your website. Right, saveahorsenow.org. That's how we, we um, advertise them on there, and we advertise them on several other horse-selling websites to get them um, into good homes. Yes, I, I looked at your website, and uh, I'm sure we will give that address out again at the end. Um, and, uh, boy, it really is uh, its so tragic, because obviously these thoroughbreds um, would make very good, uh, well, it's tragic no matter what horse is being uh, slaughtered for meat. I, I remember I didn't know that that happened until um, I lived in Belgium and was uh, <laughs> served horse meat mm-hmm. um, one evening. That's one of the places that they eat it as well. Actually, in Europe and other places, too, they eat horse meat. And, and uh, I guess I, I love horses. I ride almost every day. Uh, I jump and I do dressage. And, and so the idea of... Um, you know, serving up uh, any horse, 
um, slaughtering any horse is, is just really very tragic to me. I mean, not that I'm sure there are people um, who would say, and maybe um, Dr. Pia Salk is one of them, that certainly there are people who believe that you shouldn't be cooking up and eating any animal. But, of course, um, when you develop a bond towards certain types of animals, it's even harder. It's, it's like imagining cooking a, a cat or a dog. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely correct. I think the big difference with, because I've been asked a lot, what about cattle? Well, they slaughter cattle. But the way that they slaughter the cattle is much more humane than it is the way that they, order, they, they slaughter horses. And I always tell everybody, you know, Paul Revere didn't come riding through on Bessie the cow to let us know the British were coming. It was a horse. So it's a big part of our culture is the horse. We fought wars on them. We've built this country on the backs of horses. And it's just disgusting to me that 86,000 horses were slaughtered last year for somebody to in another country to eat. Well, now, have you tried do, going at this? You said there's a legal loophole. Mm-hmm. Um, is That's just in Pennsylvania? What, what about the other states? Um, they have finally outlawed it in California a couple years ago. I'm not sure how many years ago, but... Every time it goes, the bill goes into the House or the Senate, there's um, a legislator named Bob Goodlad, I believe, who has managed to hold it up time after time after time, and he is um, very close with the cattle industry. So I don't lobby. I don't have time to concentrate on lobbying. I just rescue from morning till night. I answer emails, and I take phone calls, and I rescue horses. But there are other people out there that are much more knowledgeable on the legal aspect than I am. Than I am, and the only thing I know is that those slaughter plants are operating illegally. So, and once they close that loophole, they won't be able to. And one thing to note on this, this is Pia talking, um, is just that animals are property under the law. So any legislation that involves animals, people feel extraordinarily threatened because they, they, there's a feeling that there's a slippery slope that if you start to consider animals, any animal otherwise, that, that there will be problems as opposed to seeing it as a, a compassionate move in the right direction. Yes, that people will imagine the government coming into their lives too much. Yeah, but yet people are also appalled by the notion that animals are property in, in the same way that a TV or a table is property. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I guess you're right, you know, but a TV doesn't feel when you bash it in the head with a exactly. hammer. Exactly. So, you know, there's, I, I don't know, I guess there's extremes on both ends, and somebody, there's always naysayers. Oh, well, you know, we're in the horse's life, and, you know, it's good for the owner who can't afford it. You know, it's, there's a big difference between the way the horse is slaughtered and, pe- and a horse being put down humanely. There's two different options there, and I would, if, I keep telling everybody, if the horses were, put down and euthanized humanely, you wouldn't be talking to me right now because I wouldn't be rescuing because I do it solely because of the way they're slaughtered. I was speaking to, to in favor of, of changing the status from property. I, I totally right. agree. I was just right. hoping to fill, fill in some color there on, on why uh, it seems so illogical when we talk about why the laws aren't changed, that there is this notion out there, and people don't always know that, that they are property. Right, right. You're absolutely correct. And they did. They had, I don't know if you heard about it, but they had the um, Senate pass the bill saying, oh, well, the horse slaughter is going to end on March whatever day, 2006, and it will be ended for a year at least because we're not going to allow the um, federal government to pay for the USDA inspectors. So these legal people went and changed the law and have now classified horses as exotics. And the slaughter plants are now able to employ their own inspectors Hmm. to allow the slaughter to continue. Right. So So it's, you know, people define and redefine their advantage. Yes. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate for those poor horses, you know. Yeah, exactly. 
Now, and I imagine how how quickly do you find homes for these horses? I mean, I, there are a lot of people looking for horses, and I gather that you you sell them for reasonable um, mm-hmm. amounts. So, do you move them rather quickly? Oh yes, they're usually. They all have a two-week quarantine period because we wouldn't want to get, give someone a sick horse. And they're all evaluated and they're brought up to date on shots and teeth and feet and that sort of stuff. And then they're posted on the website and they're usually adopted within four weeks or less. And I'm actually, I'm out of horses today. So I've got four oh, that terrific. are coming in. Isn't that great? So <laughs> I have four that are coming in on Wednesday so that we saved and have been boarded. But I'm out of horses so that's a good thing, but that's almost never, you know, that happens maybe twice a year. So, Well, I guess uh, now that the spring is upon us, I guess more people are, are thinking about riding. Mm-hmm. I wish they were thinking in the winter when it's six degrees and I'm throwing yeah. hay. <laughs> <laughs> and and you're, um, you work all on donations. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, what kind of work did you do before? Well, I ran a bar and restaurant in Maryland, um, and I did that for a very long time, and uh, gosh, I guess maybe 12 years I just managed a bar and restaurant. That's what I did. <laughs> well, we have to take a break, but I guess that you're uh, taking, you've, you've made some sacrifices in order to, uh, by giving up that job and, and doing this based upon donations. Oh, my husband will have to agree with that. Yes, I, I, I don't make any money at this. We do it for free. But I, you know, now I look forward to getting up in the morning, and before I would count the hours until I had I could leave to go home. So it's a big difference in my life. I may be poorer, but I'm happier. Yes. Well, that that's a good note to end on for this uh, portion of the show because that's kind of what it's all about. Stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about animal rescue, a measure of our humanity, and we've already uh, begun to see. How the story unfolds. My guests are Joe Dibel and Dr. Pia Salk. So stay tuned. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Want to break in the action? Join us Thursdays, 8 to 9 a.m. and again from 8 to 9 p.m. for the L.A. Underground Comedy Show, hosted by stand-up comedian Ralph Benson, who also co-produces comedy, beer, sex appeal, Santa Monica's premier weekly stand-up comedy showcase at 14 Below. Originally from Rochester, New York, Ralph has been a bartender in Hollywood for over six years and is a veteran of the Los Angeles nightlife scene. If you've partied in L.A. since a millennium, chances are he's probably got you drunk. So untuck your shirt and have a stiff Bell with Ralph's No Holds Barred approach with LA Underground Comedy Show on the Voice America channel beginning May 25th and every Thursday from 8 to 9 a.m. and again at 8 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on VoiceAmerica.com. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkgaard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time. Invoke thought, feeling, and inspiration into your life right here on voiceamerica.com. 
education, health care, environmental protection, the war in Iraq, taxes, poverty, abortion, the economy, crime, social security. It's all around us. What are the key issues? How does it affect you? Whether you stand to the left of the political aisle or to the right, Make Your Point with Melanie Brenner is your platform for straight political talk without an agenda. Melanie, one of the top Democratic strategic communications experts in the country, and her guests, political staffers and consultants behind the elected officials, as well as arts and entertainment icons, discuss the issues relevant to our day-to-day lives. Make Your Point with Melanie Brenner, broadcast each Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America channel. Don't just sit there. Make Your Point. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about animal rescue, a measure of our humanity. We're talking to two women who have uh, devoted their lives to rescuing animals. And... um, We've heard so far from Joe Diebel, who is the president of the Angel Acres Horse Haven Rescue in Glenville, Pennsylvania. And um, I will give out her website at the end of the show again as well, so you can go to that. And now let's hear the story of Dr. Pia Salk, who is the co-founder of Animal Rescue New Orleans and who was very involved um, during Hurricane Katrina in saving the animals. Uh, something that uh, seemed to have been a task that was uh, that was abandoned, basically. So, why don't you tell us about how, how, why you got involved and what you did there? Um, well, I became involved in animal rescue. You know, pretty much the seeds of that were as a child, just always being concerned about animals. And then I was just completing my doctorate in psychology uh, when the hurricane hit, and I had done my dissertation about social justice issues and essentially how the mistreatment of animals is, is just an extension of uh, any misuse of power in our culture that, mm. that breeds um, marginalizing of, of anybody and thinking of things hierarchically. So uh, we saw that both in the treatment of the people uh, in New Orleans, in the Gulf Coast, as well as in the treatment of animals. So mm. essentially, I just couldn't bear to see it on TV and uh, knew uh, a few friends of friends who had just gotten on a plane and gone down there, and we, I kept getting mixed messages about whether we would be accepted down there, whether we were needed, and finally I had somebody crying on the other end of the phone that said, get here, just get here, you can get in, we need you. So I went down, and that was sort of how a lot of people ended up there, and, and this was sort of the largest animal rescue effort in the country, and it was almost entirely volunteer-driven. Uh, so it was pretty remarkable. Um, but essentially, once I got down there, I got involved quickly because there was a real lack of order in how things were being handled, uh, in some ways a lack of urgency. And a few of us organized with each other to help give the volunteers that were coming in some direction. Uh, so that's, that's the impetus of it. And then um, in October, when the, the major groups pulled out, uh, most of them, uh, the, the rescue effort was absolutely far from complete. It's still far from complete. Um, and so volunteers still wanted to stay on and help, and we certainly weren't willing to leave with, with the suffering we were seeing. So we started our own group and started to funnel volunteers through us. So. And what 
were the logistics? How did you go about rescuing these animals? Um, well, when I was there, and, and it certainly changed over the course of the many months, but I checked in at an area called Lamar Dixon, which was the main, um, basically the main shelter that animals were being brought into each day. And you would wake up early, um, load your car up with, you know, tons of water and food and flashlights, masks and lasagna pans to put the food in, um, and uh, once we sort of organized everyone, each person would be given a map of an area that they were to go into and then also given a list of addresses in that area where animals were reported um, by owners to, to, to need care or rescue. Now, there was a list um, that was called in to one of the major groups early on, uh, the 1-800 number given out, that... Um, people were to call in if their if their animals needed rescue. That that list was never given to rescuers until our group came upon it and asked the group why we weren't being given this mm. these addresses. And finally, they gave us the list and we broke it up into sections and gave it out to rescuers. So then you would sort of embark upon your area, go street to street, and go to these addresses and uh, see if in the animals were there. Or walking or both. At this point, it was walking. Um, there were some areas we couldn't get into because of there was still water, and the water rescues were done um, more by um, organized groups or um, certainly volunteers, but they were more limited in terms of who they would allow into water rescue. Mm-hmm. Um, but by this time, we had to get past checkpoints, and a lot of us had documents. Some people had um, doctored documents to get in, um, and we were pretty much the only people in the streets there. Uh, that and some U.S. Marshals and some FBI and people like that we would run into, but the streets were completely barren, and you'd hear barking hmm. uh, from afar, and you'd uh, just stop and, and, and either rescue the animals or feed them where they were. Well, now, these animals who had been traumatized, uh, some of them, I imagine, were rather agitated. How did you... How did you get them? What were you trying to get them into? Trucks, or how did you um, round them up? Um, surprisingly, most of the animals were very happy to see us. Um, you know, there was there were some that were so fearful that that they were more difficult. We were getting them in our cars for the most part. We were getting them into crates, and then in our cars, you would load up crates in the morning as well. Um, so. Some people had catch poles, so if you had a, a fiercer dog, you could get the dog with a catch pole around the neck, provided you knew how to utilize that. And um, pretty quickly, they would come around and realize that they were safe now. There, there were um, really very few instances where you were actually in danger. Um, and just the use of food to get them, or um, some of them, if you if you had the notation, you knew the name of the animal. Um, I was on the phone sometimes with people having me go to their house and telling me where exactly the animal might be and what the animal's name was and what the animal liked to eat. I got one dog with potato chips because the guy told me that that's what the dog liked. Um, All different kinds of of ways. And then later in the rescue, uh, we resorted to trapping, uh, setting traps and getting animals, humane traps. Hmm. Um, But, you know, a lot of it is instinct and... You know, I got my worst injury from a kitten, um, whereas I'd been, you know, wrangling pit bulls. So it was not, it really, these animals were for the most part pretty safe to work with. Now, what about why, um, what was really going on as far as 
Some people left their animals at home because they thought that they would be coming back. Some people weren't, um, when they, when the people were rescued, they made them leave the animals behind. Some people died because they didn't want to leave their animals. What are some of these stories? Uh, pretty much all of the above. I mean, I think New Orleans had been evacuated, has, you know, had to evacuate over the years many times. So most people did not realize they would be leaving for that long. Um, so, so there was that message sent. I mean, in hindsight, they realized there were other people who did hold out many six days in an attic, and then once a helicopter came to get them, they were forced to leave the animal. People were forced in a number of ways. Um, some people were told, we'll be back for your, your animal, and many they did not go back for. Some people were told, if you bring your animal, we'll slit their throat. Unfortunately, I heard more times than not that one. And some people were told... Um, well, basically that we'll be back for your animal or you'll be back in a few days or, or you simply can't bring your animal. Um, so it was really all of the above. There were also a few high schools where people were told to drop their animals off and that they would be taken care of. And unfortunately, some of you have seen the stories of those, that, that many of those animals were shot and found dead. They were shot? Yeah. By, there was, uh, yeah. by um, that's still under investigation, but they believe some of the authorities. It's really hard to know. Um, Anderson Cooper actually covered it on CNN. There was a, there's a, hopefully an investigation going on, but uh, one of my fellow rescuers also did come across one of the high schools where that happened. But um, more often than not, I think what happened was people were told as they were being rescued in boats that they could not get on if they brought their animal. Other people were told, your animal will be okay, you'll be back, or, you know, something like that, really. How tragic, because, mm-hmm. um, boy, especially, I actually hadn't heard of that, that that, uh, the, that some animals were shot in high schools. I guess it was a quick way to um, to rid the area of the animal problem. Yeah, it's hard to say what, what happened there. Uh, my understanding is that they were still leashed to chairs and that they were discovered that way. So don't really know. You know, some people go so far as to say it was target practice. Other people say that it was because they didn't know what to do with them, uh, all sorts of things. And, and even our group did find some animals when we were rescuing of animals with, with shots in them still alive. So really hard to say what the story was there. But the animals suffered the worst fate, truly, um, and there were plenty more animals found dead than people. So, you know, I think people thought it was okay to leave their animals. Hmm. Now, what did you do with these animals once you did round them up? Um, in the early days, we were bringing them to Lamar Dixon, which was a big uh, sort of 4-H club kind of barn area that, that there were military vets there to check them out, and then they were typically uh, shipped to rescues all around the country, or some were reclaimed by owners at that point. Um, since then, there has been uh, ongoing uh, shipping of animals to different states or, um, you know, animals were publicized on the Internet to see if people could reclaim them. Some of those animals' time has run out at shelters around the country and they've been euthanized. Uh, really, all sorts of different different things happened, unfortunately. And then when the big groups pulled out, our group had to kind of rally and quickly find places for the animals to go, and, and um, one of the other big groups stepped in and assisted us with that. Hmm. And so what is the status now of the Animal Rescue New Orleans group? Um, well, we have turned our resources over to local people, and, and you know, uh, 
in all this, you know, I've met some really wonderful New Orleans people, so many of whom care about their animals, and, and you know, for the most part, people did not want to leave their animals. They just they didn't know what to do, and, and they were, in the same way the animals were marginalized, they were marginalized. Yeah. Um, so uh, they have stepped in and are continuing uh, some of our efforts to feed, to leave food for animals at all different areas of town. We have food stations set up, which I think kept a lot of animals alive until they could be rescued. Um, and then they are also catching and uh, spaying cats um, and re-releasing them so that there's uh, can control the overpopulation problem. That's the biggest problem right now is the um, birth explosion. There are puppies everywhere living in rubble, and there are kittens as well, and no one's coming back to these areas, so these animals are, are, are starving. <clears throat> so that's really where most of the effort is right now on controlling that. And so have you been... Um sort of teaching some of these people who before never did this kind of rescuing or caring for certainly large groups of animals or in this way, have you been teaching them what to do? Um, Our group has certainly offered some guidelines. Um, What we've done for the most part, though, is we we acted as as sort of a a door for people to go through for for where they could go, where they would stay. We, We were able to fund some people going there. We were able to provide them with equipment, traps, things like that, and we screened people if, to see if they knew how to do, to do procedures correctly. So all sorts of, of things that we did. Well, <laughs> very, very fascinating. And some of the things that really don't get uh, shown in the media, you know, I mean, aside from what you mentioned about Anderson Cooper, for the most part a lot of this does not get uh, played on the air. Well, yeah. we'll be talking more with my guests, Joe Dybel and Dr. Pia Salk, about rescuing animals. And um, when we come back, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Bringing you around the world, right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Hello, this is Rory Garay, President of Greyhound Pets of America and host of Greyhounds Made Great Pets on Voice America. Join me every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern for an insightful and enjoyable talk about one of man's best friends, the Greyhound. Learn about the history of the Greyhound, discuss proper obedience and training techniques, and find out more about the Greyhound racing industry and what they are doing to help the adoption effort of the former race dogs. If you own a Greyhound or just love dogs like I do, join me for Greyhounds Make Great Pets every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture, who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to Jeffrey Gitterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. This week on Slice of Sci-Fi with Michael and Evo, our guest is Jamie Bamber. 
You'll know him from Battlestar Galactica. He plays Leodama. We talk about Battlestar Galactica and get a look inside of Jamie's life. Of course, we'll cover all the sci-fi news for the week as usual. That's Slice of Sci-Fi with Michael and Evo. Bringing you around the world, right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're talking about animal rescue, a measure of our humanity, because uh, where how how well we treat the vulnerable animals is a reflection, oftentimes, of how we treat each other. Uh, in fact, in regard to uh, child abuse, one of the first warning signs that someone is a potential child abuser is they're having abused their pet or somebody else's pet. My guests today are Joe Dibel. She's the president of the Angel Acres Horse Haven Rescue in Glenville, Pennsylvania, and Dr. Pia Salk, the co-founder of Animal Rescue New Orleans and also involved with an organization called Save a Pet. I'll have her tell you about that um, later on as well. Um, during the break, uh, Joe was tell- just started to tell us that her husband was down at uh, Hurricane Katrina rescuing people. What was he doing there? He... Um make sure that the fire departments and the ambulances are back up and running so that they are able to function. And he was down there for about six weeks, and he saw the animals down there, but with, you know, he was working 16 hours a day and couldn't do anything about the animals in the position he was in. He was sleeping in a tent outside of a fire department. Hmm. So. Well, so you, you have both sides covered, yeah. the people and the animals. Yeah. Um, now, Dr. Pia Salk is, is going to be running this coming weekend a uh, retreat for the people, I guess, involved in your organization or just anyone who was down in, in uh, New Orleans helping the animal, rescuing animals from Hurricane Katrina. What? Yes. Um, well, it, it's actually for anyone uh, who was involved in the Katrina Animal Rescue, and surprisingly, we've had people come forward now also who want to participate, who, you know, are the spouses or partners of people who mm-hmm. were involved in the rescue because they want to be able to understand better what they're going through. Well, tell us what they are going through, what the rescuers and their spouses are going through. Well, um, the feedback I've gotten, uh, and certainly my own feelings about having done the rescue, are that that people are are experiencing a lot of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress, nightmares, they're unable to get certain uh, visions, images out of their head, um, and they are sort of plagued with guilt that they didn't get there sooner, didn't do more. Pretty uh, typical stuff with regard to rescue work. I think what makes this special is that, as you mentioned early in the show, that, that a lot of people will say, oh, why aren't you worried about the people or whatever. So there's a fur- further marginalizing force for people who do animal rescue that they get kind of beat up on by other people in the world as opposed to kind of the notion that they are they are just contributing to compassion in, in, in some way, um, which is better than nothing. So, um, and, and what you were saying before off the air I think is such an important point about how um, – so many people have the idea 
that compassion is finite. And, you know, not that you can be compassionate towards a person and help people and also towards animals. Right, exactly. That, that there's some notion that there's this finite amount, and, and, and the fact of the matter is that compassion breeds compassion, um, and we should all support each other. And, and as I mentioned before, it's all about, you know, misuse of power that, that causes people to be oppressed or hurt or cast aside or abandoned. So, so it all contributes to everything. So I, I, would, I would challenge people to get away from that notion that, that some, one thing is, is of more worth than another. Um, the other thing about animals specifically is that they are essentially voiceless and and not protected by the law. So there's a special place that a lot of people who do animal rescue feel for animals, uh, special identification with that, that, that they cannot help themselves the way people might be able to. Not to say that that's more, not, you know, it's not more worthy or less worthy, it's just a special area of rescue. And so, I, I guess what you were implying before... Um, <laughs> talking about these major organizations who I guess uh, shall remain nameless, um, that, that there was a kind of, just like there were politics um, in regard to the people and, in, and that caused so much to be delayed, what you seem to be saying is that there were politics even as far as people who went down there to try to help rescue animals. Uh, absolutely, and, and, and ex- completely mirrored that. Um, there was the notion sort of locally in Louisiana, a lot of groups sort of wanted us to leave and said, oh, you know, we've got it handled, we've got it handled, even when they didn't. Um, so that was sort of an odd dynamic. Uh, and then also the larger groups just uh, had raised millions of dollars and were ready to consider it uh, completed and continue to raise money based on on the effort when they were willing to pull out of the effort. So there were all sorts of politics that went on, uh, and the animals ended up being the victims of that, as well as the people who lost their animals. I mean, this is a people issue as well. Um, so the politics were tremendous and, and really criminal in a lot of ways. Uh, in fact, most of the animals that we saw dead did not die from a flood. They died from starvation because they were not rescued or rescued in time, um, or they were resorted to, unfortunately, you know, lots of other things that, that probably no one wants to hear about. <laughs> well, like man-made or or what? Or or other animals eating other animals? Or, or Yeah, there were animals eating other animals because of the starvation and things like that. So, so there was a lot of that. And then, you know, dehydration or getting stuck because they were trying to get out of places. Uh, or, like I said, a lot of uh, some, some of the big groups had had spray-painted on houses, no animals found, and we decided to double-check, and there were animals found, so I'm not hmm. sure how that happened. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, it was not, I saw very few that died from the flood. Wow, that really is sad. So what are, so, so, and, and I guess also what made it so heartbreaking is um, seeing the people who were in some of these circumstances where either they stayed because they didn't want to leave if they couldn't bring their animal or they left with these sort of false promises of being able to return to or somebody would return to take care of their animal. I mean, it must have been that it's not only the sadness and, and about not being able to rescue all the animals, but also of seeing the heartbroken people who, who so needed their animals, particularly at this time when the people were suffering, the, the, the victims of Hurricane Katrina were suffering 
post-traumatic stress disorder. Absolutely. It was, it was really, I mean, you break, raise a great point because, I, I, you know, I and other rescuers heard time and time again stories of people about the efforts they took to, to take the animals, to save the animals, and they were just heartbroken. Or if you were had the advantage of being reuniting a person with an animal, the story you were hearing was that they were just they would break down and were so thankful, and they'd say, "I lost my house, I lost my job, I lost everything, but you gave me the only thing that mattered to me." And mm-hmm. people said that over and over, sobbing, and um, that was remarkable. So, so I really feel that that it was a huge injustice to both the animals and the people because essentially anyone going through trauma feels powerless. So you, you not only, you know, they're all, not only powerless to the circumstances, you're now taking away something, a being, whose care they're charged with, and you're, you're rendering them unable to care for or protect that animal from harm. Um, at the time when they most need the unconditional love of this animal that has been by their side, largely, you know, many for, for many years, and some of these animals were even rescued from, you know, the SPCA years ago. So this was an animal that they had rescued once before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the re-traumatization of, of forcing them not to be able to care for something that they felt responsible for was its own trauma. Yes, yes, because in fact, um, being able to care for their animals, rescue their animals, protect their animals... Um, is such an important part of their mm-hmm. healing from the um, therapeutic, mm-hmm. right? So, and Joe, um, you said that the people who are involved in in with rescuing horses also experience um, some psychological traumas. Yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, it's it's pretty sad because we're we work with another organization pretty closely. She actually helped us. Their organization helped us get off the ground, and every week when we go, it's it's horrific because there'll be, a, you know, two pens there with 20 horses in each pen. We can take two. And the other rescue can take two or three if we're lucky, and we have to leave the other ones there knowing that this is it. They're going to go, they're going to have their shoes pulled off, a four-digit sticker put on them, and they're going to be, you know, herded into this truck, and that's the end of them. So it's pretty stressful, and we all have the horse that we should have taken, we should have taken, we should have taken. Mm-hmm. And it's it's pretty heartbreaking because we can't save them all. So... Um, you know, it's it's something that we deal with, um, and I think the thing that gets us through is, you know what, we're saving the ones we can, and at least we're doing that. We could sit around and complain and, and wonder why somebody doesn't do anything, so at least we're actively participating in rescuing as many horses as we can. Yeah. But, yeah, it does come up on a, on a at least weekly basis about the ones that we can't save. And right, and I, and I think, you know, this is a huge thing. In some ways, I think Katrina was simply a window for people into what happens to animals every day all over this country. Mm-hmm. So every day there's a Katrina in every shelter at every rescue group of the, the, the amount. It's just incomprehensible the amount of animals that need our help that we can't help. Um, so so it's, it's just I think people are left with the weight of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, there's one that haunts me, and my friend has one that haunts her, and it, it, it'll it'll never go away. It's been years; it'll never go away. And and uh-huh. what is the reason that most of the owners um, of these horses give them up? Well, in our situation, since we rescue thoroughbreds, their crime is they're not fast enough anymore. So once they're in the position where they're not winning money, they are now standing in a stall and being fed, and they're is being paid on those horses every day. So at that point, the trainer and or owner, sometimes the owner doesn't know, needs to get rid of that horse, 
to bring in another horse that may win them money. So when the only person buying that you can get rid of the horse in, in an hour is the killer buyer, that's where you're going to go. You're going to drop the horse off at a sale. But like I said, a lot of the owners do not know that their horses have ended up um, in a slaughter pen. I've actually talked to breeders and owners who thought their horses were actually still in a stall waiting to be shown to someone else. And in that situation, the the uh, breeder went along with the trainer saying, oh, really, how did it go, knowing the horse was on my property. Just, you know, of course he fired that trainer, but, you know, they're, they'll lie and they'll they'll do all kinds of things that you and I wouldn't think people would be capable of doing when it comes to a life, whether it's human or animal. And I've found in this business there are people that will lie their teeth to tell you something, and there are people that are just so brutally honest. There's no I haven't found the middle a middle ground either. They're good horse people or they're not. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll uh, chat more about this when we come back. My guests today are Joe Diebold, president of the Angel Acres Horse Haven Rescue in Glenville, Pennsylvania, and Dr. Pia Salk, the co-founder of Animal Rescue New Orleans. And uh, we're talking today about animal rescue, a measure of our humanity, and I think that's becoming more and more self-evident as we talk. So stay tuned for the final segment of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Unlimited talk at your fingertips, voiceamerica.com. West Coast Business Review and host Amy Campbell presents Show Me the Business. Each week, you'll hear exciting guests give you vital information on advancing your business and career. Learn how others have built their empires, from best-selling authors to renowned entertainers. Listen every Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific time on voiceamericaradio.com. Visit our website at www.westcoastbusinessreview.com. West Coast Business Reviews, show me the business, connecting you to the business world. Want to break in the action? Join us Thursdays, 8 to 9 a.m. and again from 8 to 9 p.m. for the L.A. Underground Comedy Show, hosted by stand-up comedian Ralph Benson, who also co-produces Comedy Beer Sex Appeal, Santa Monica's premier weekly stand-up comedy showcase at 14 Below. Originally from Rochester, New York, Ralph has been a bartender in Hollywood for over six years and is a veteran of the Los Angeles nightlife scene. If you've partied in L.A. since a millennium, chances are he's probably gotten you drunk. So untuck your shirt and have a stiff belt with Ralph's no-holds-barred approach with L.A. Underground Comedy Show on the Voice America channel, beginning May 25th and every Thursday from 8 to 9 a.m. and again at 8 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on VoiceAmerica.com. The results indicate your child has neuroblastoma. There's evidence of metastasis. We need to schedule a bone we'll to perform a surgery. After you hear your child has cancer, chances are you don't hear anything else. CureSearch.org connects you to the most comprehensive research and advice on childhood cancer and to other families who know exactly what you're going through. CureSearch.org. You're not as alone as you feel. Brought to you by CureSearch and the Ad Council. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at one 866 472-5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And 
friend. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. You know, I was I was just saying to my guests, Joe Dibel and Dr. Pia Salk, how the, the, it's been so interesting hearing what they have to say, but also really disturbing in terms of how inhumane um, people can be and and, uh, and even some people who <laughs> we have in charge of... Um, of governmental agencies or of non-profit agencies where egos get in the way. Why don't you now tell uh, my listeners what they can do where wherever they live, um, besides, of course, uh, contribute to your organizations and we'll give your websites out, but, but what they can do in their, you know, everyday life to help with this problem. Um, I guess I can go first. <laughs> sure, yeah, please. Okay. Um, I would say the best thing that they can do in our situation to help with the horse slaughter problem is to write their congressman, um, to tell two friends and have those friends tell two more people because I sort of liken it to the um, harp seals and the greyhounds. When the public was made aware of what was happening to these animals, there was such a public outcry that people finally stood up and took notice and the problem has gotten better. It's not completely gone, but it has gotten better. And another thing would be like the the um, dolphin safe tune-off. When people get angry enough about what's happening to these poor innocent animals and that they're used, abused, and thrown away, that that's what's going to change it. Not me rescuing as many horses as I can, but the general American public speaking up, contacting their legislators and saying, hey, put a stop to it. And, of course, the other thing they can do is adopt a horse and, you know, if they can't do that, then they can at least tell a friend, and a friend can tell another friend. Yes, and, and especially because, you know, real um, horses bought in by other means can be so expensive. And here these are thoroughbreds. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of them can be, they may not race as fast in these uh, high-stakes races, but they certainly can be an incredible horse even on the show circuit. Yeah, we have um, our horses are pretty, pretty reasonably pl- priced, and their donations are tax deductible, so people like that. But mm-hmm. there's fifty thousand plus thoroughbred foals born every year, and how many horses do you hear about every year? One or two. Mm-hmm. So you have to figure out, think of what's going to happen to the other horses that don't make it, and they make up a large portion of the horses that are slaughtered every year. But these horses can go on to have second careers. Um, silver medalist in the Olympics won her won her medal on a six hundred dollar slaughter horse. Hmm. So, you know they do have potential, and people just need to see, hey, there's something better we can do for these horses besides bashing them in the skull. So, yes, and and um, what is the uh, give out the, your website address where people can see um, read more about this and also see the the horses that are currently available for adoption. Oh, okay, they can go to www. SaveAhorseNow.org, and that's all together. And they can uh, contact us if they'd like more information from the Contact Us page. They can drop us an email, give us a call, whatever they'd like. And if they'd like to volunteer, we always need people to muck stalls and exercise horses. <laughs> yes. You know, the, I would imagine uh, going to some of the high schools and colleges around here. Is that where you get yep. a lot of <laughs> And the Girl Scouts. I love the Girl Scouts. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so they're, they're always anxious to brush the horses and... And to, they're not really anxious to, to muck the stalls, but they love to brush the horses. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Pia, what, what are your, some of your suggestions? 
Um, well, there's certainly a lot of concrete things people can do. Um, I, I, you know, do not adopt from a breeder or a pet store. I think you should always adopt from a shelter. Uh, that is what our website is for. It's a free website that uh, you put in your zip code and you can search by breed and you can search the shelters and rescue groups in your area. It's 1-800-SAVE-A-PET.com. People can email me through there, too, at Pia, Pia at 1-800-SAVE-A-PET.com. Uh, so that is certainly one way. Also, people should always spay and neuter their animals because there are far too many needing homes, so to make more is, is problematic, even there, if they're cute and wonderful and smart. Um, you don't uh, recommend cloning, then. <laughs> I do not recommend cloning. I think we have a responsibility to help the ones that need our help and are in shelters, and people don't even realize how many purebreds are in shelters uh, if they want a particular kind. Uh, yes, so that's you certainly know, I looked at both of your websites, by the way. That I would recommend um, that people look at them, but I, I was surprised about that, um, that, and I think a lot of people don't know that. They think When they think about adopting a pet from the pound or, or an organization, they think about a mutt, not that there's anything wrong with must because must can be adorable but for somebody who wants you know a certain breed um, a lot of people don't know that you can actually adopt specific breeds um, from shelters or organizations like yours or, or where your website gives them links to Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. People don't realize that, you know, there'll be a fad out there and everyone will get that pet and then half of those pets will be relinquished because yes. people don't want to care for them or they move, uh, things like that. So there are, there's, you know, thousands put to sleep every day in pounds that are full-bred um, pets. So, so that's certainly something. And like I said, the spay and neuter to control the overpopulation is, is a huge piece. Uh, and also I would just say on a more sort of philosophical level, doing any of those things models that behavior for others and for the children of our culture. So to take personal responsibility for another being uh, in a manner that is humane and compassionate uh, breeds that same behavior. And to speak about that and to take a stand about that and to educate others is huge. So, um, so in that way, I think we almost make more of an impact. Um, so I, I think a lot of people went to New Orleans because I went and they happened to know me and I was their friend. I didn't do any great thing. I just did something. And then the, more of their friends went. So it, it's kind of the, that's the way things work. Um, and then in terms of just the way we think, uh, maybe challenge ourselves not to think hierarchically that one thing is, is uh, worthy of, of protection from suffering while another it, is not, but rather to kind of think about the ways that we're like animals and the animals we've shared our lives with and and, and those sorts of ways um, to, to, to contemplate that and, and the messages we receive in the media, kind of question them for a little while. Yes, and to uh, sort of be a little more explicit on that, um, that really, I mean, you talked about animals not being able to speak for themselves and certainly there are lots of groups in society who are, um, not able or, or don't mm-hmm. speak for themselves. And, and, yes, this idea of being compassionate towards every living thing, um, even those that uh, aren't organized enough or, or don't have, uh, can't, can't uh, enunciate words, um, to be able to, who, these are the people and the animals who need our help the most. Um, exactly. And, yes, and it does really model for children and for the rest of the world. Absolutely. Okay. So it isn't really an either-or. It's um, trying to... And, yes, these stories, just as there are tragic stories of uh, of people being separated from their pets, there are the equally happy stories of people being reunited. And I, I guess, you, you know, you must 
you must have gotten a lot of, um, you were saying that people don't understand. I guess you've gotten a lot of people saying that, uh, thinking that you're just sort of kooks going, you know, who care, like who are, you must be vegans or, you know, or, or sort of, um, uh, extremists who just want to, who want to save, and I guess you must get that, Joe, too, in terms of uh, what's wrong with using um, horses for food. You know, we all need to eat. Do you get some of that? We get, we don't get a lot of that. Um, we get a lot of when the horses we rescue, what's wrong with them? The only thing that's wrong with them is they're not fast enough to win their owner's money. That's a big misconception we have, that it's a rescue horse, so obviously there's something wrong with it. Mm-hmm. If I were a horse dealer, which ugh, I shudder to think, those horses would be three or four times what our adoption fees are. Yeah. So they think because they're getting a decent horse at an excellent price that's up-to-date on shots and everything, that there's automatically something wrong with it. And that's a big misconception that we try and dispel on a daily basis. And when somebody's first question to me is, what's wrong with it? I'm just like, well, this is the problem. And then usually I can convince the person that, hey, a rescue horse, give it a shot. And we have multiple adopters that have, you know, people that have taken two and three and four of our horses and are happy. And and I I think you make a good point, though. People do try to sort of dismiss people as fringy and extremists because Mm -hmm. the message is so hard to bear sometimes. Right, right. And, And, you know, that's sort of like the brain surgeon. If he's so good, why isn't he also doing, you know, orthopedics or other sorts of surgery? It's the one area he's concentrating in that's helping the public and it's helping people. It just happens to be what... You know, that's what I can do is I can rescue horses. I have a yeah. farm. If I had a smaller area, and I'd, I'd probably be rescuing cats or something. You know? well, My... let me, well, first of all, let me thank you both for being on the show, and let me commend you for what you are doing. It's really wonderful. And let me give out uh, the the websites again. Joe Diable, Angel Acres Horse Haven Rescue. Her website is saveahorsenow.org, saveahorsenow.org, and Dr. Pia Salk. Her um, website is 1-800-SAVEAPET.COM, 1-800-SAVEAPET.COM. Why don't you check those out and see, uh, get some more ideas about this and see what you can do. And I hope by now um, we have convinced you that uh, being compassionate towards animals is indeed a reflection of your humanity. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.